So we have a very special guest, at least special to me, uh, who's come from the rural uh, town of Minnesota, and she was told um, why she has to go to seminary and why what application she will use of the Greek and Hebrew word, but to dismantle the myth, uh, she went on to become the associate professor in ABSW, American Baptist Seminary of the West. So Blue and I went to Northern Baptist Seminary, and American Baptist is the only Baptist seminary in the West, so it caters to the need of students who want to go into the seminary in a Baptist school in the West, so it just doesn't cover California. So she went on to become uh, the Old Testament professor for 25 years, and then uh, she is now the academic dean and vice president of um, uh, vice president of faculty and the dean. So the student calls her with endearment, Dr. D. I call her for somebody who give, who's responsible for giving A. I call her Dr. F. So I. I'm very happy, and I'm so glad you joined us. So, Dr. F, please, ta- please teach us the Word of God and the work of God. Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be here with you this morning. I am delighted. This is my first time at First Baptist Church of... Oh, thank you very much. Um, Actually, they could probably hear me. I've never been—I've never been told I need a microphone. Actually, um, it is my first experience at First Baptist Church of Santa Clara, and uh, what a wonderful experience it is! I am impressed with all that you have going on here. I am especially impressed with the technology. I was like, "Wow, this is cool!" Uh, so I have an iPad, and I'm going to try and. Uh, keep moving through the uh, slides as I do my sermon this morning with you. Uh, as I begin, though, I want to give my thanks to Pastors Valuis uh, for the invitation to be here with you this morning. Uh, also, I want to note that on Tuesday, I am going to their homeland uh, to visit uh, in Northeast India. I will be there for two weeks. And so uh, it's kind of fun to have this little connection. And then after service, we're going to go to lunch, and I'm going to get all sorts of information from them so I know what to wear and what to say when I go to their homeland next week. Uh, this morning, I've been asked to... Uh, have a conversation with you about uh, diversity in particular. And as I thought about which text to use uh, to read from the biblical text, and, and as uh, Margaret has noted, uh, I am uh, a professor of biblical studies at the American Baptist Seminary, and uh, so always want to use the biblical text and always want to use the Old Testament as that is my specialization. But this morning, however, I'm going to read from the book of Matthew. Uh, but it will get us into the Old Testament uh, eventually. And I'm going to read from chapter 1, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. And I am reading to you the genealogy of Jesus Christ, right? Woohoo! A genealogy. All right, so sit back and enjoy. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David 
the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. That's one third of it. (laughs) David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa. Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Aren't you glad you weren't asked to read the scripture this morning? (laughs) Oh, thank you, I'm going to need that. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Elikim, Elikim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Now you might wonder what in the world would possess me to preach from a genealogy. And I will never forget the day, the first time I was asked to read that genealogy in public. Uh, it, was a, it was at an ordination service. And I was the reader of the biblical text, and I looked up at the pastor, the preacher, and I said, do you not like me? Is that why you have selected this text for today? Forcing me to pronounce all those names. I was suspicious that somebody here was going to be asked to read that text, and then Pastor Valuhi told me I had to read it, and I said, "Uh aha, there you go, it comes back. (laughs) But believe it or not, There is much to be gleaned from this text and from genealogies in general from the Bible. Um, There are several things that go on with these genealogies and the one that we're going to look at this morning has to do with diversity and inclusivism. You see, the biblical genealogies usually... uh Uh-oh, I touched it, didn't I? usually 
have all male names. And I know you can't see that very clearly. Uh, the print's probably a little too small, but we're not going to read all those names anyway. But what we're seeing here are the lists of names of the patriarchs uh, leading up to Jesus Christ. But Matthew has broken up that tradition. He has changed it. And when we look at verse 2, as you see on the screen, we see that the pattern or the rhythm of the genealogy is shifted. So here the rhythm, and you probably heard it as I was reading it, and I was trying to read it with a rhythm. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. But when we get to verse 3, we hear, And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram. See, in verse 3, that traditional pattern has been interrupted by the insertion of the mother's name. We have Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Tamar was their mother. Tamar was the patriarch. And if we continue, we find the pattern broken again in verse 5. And now we are looking at verse 5. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And this time we have the inclusion of two mother's names, Rahab and Ruth. And the pattern's broken a fourth time when we get to verse 6. And Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And here Matthew's including a reference to Bathsheba, who was the mother of Solomon. And ultimately, Matthew is building to verse 16, where he will include Mary the mother of Jesus. I'm not sure if you can get see that very clearly, but on the right-hand side, Mary is the final uh, per- character named, and on the left-hand side, Joseph is the final character name. And so we see in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, again, breaking the pattern, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Now, by building the genealogy in this way, Matthew has emphasized diversity. In this chart, you see the, the, not only the names, but also the ethnicities of these women who have been named. And let me bring it up this way. It's a little clearer. We have Tamar, who is a Canaanite. We have Rahab, who is also a Canaanite. We have Ruth, who is a Moabite. And Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah, the Hittite. And so I've created some images up here for you, just so that you can get a sense of what 
the physical appearance might have been like uh, for these populations. These are actually archaeological uh, images uh, that come from some of the archaeological digs and research that has been done over the generations. So here we're seeing that in this genealogy, this Israelite genealogy, this Jewish genealogy, a Canaanite, two Canaanites, a Moabite, and a Hittite. But what else do we know about these women from the Old Testament stories? In Genesis 38, we have the story of Tamar. And Tamar had been given in marriage to Judah, to Judah's first son. And the first son dies uh, before an heir or a boy child can be born. And so Tamar is given in marriage to the second son in the clan, according to the law of Leverite marriage. And the law of Leverite marriage states that if uh, an heir of the clan dies before a son can be born, the wife's to be given in marriage to the brother. And if there is no brother, then to the next closest male relative. Now, I bet you're happy that law is no longer in practice today. (laughs) I, for one, am very happy. And if you want to know more about Leverite marriage, uh, you need to come to seminary because I can teach you a lot more about that. Uh, But we don't have a lot more time to talk about it this morning. But Tamar is given in marriage to the second son and then he also dies. In Genesis 38, you can go read the story at some point later if you want. And after that, Judah, being afraid that his third son might die as well, withholds his third son from Tamar. And thus violates the law of Leverite marriage. Now, Tamar, seeing that the third son was not given to her marriage, decides to take matters into her own hands. And she dresses up like a harlot and plants herself on the side of the road where she knows her recently widowed father-in-law will be traveling. And to make a long story short and not to get too dicey, Tamar and Judah become involved and voila, an heir is born, right? A son is born. And that is how Tamar gets to be in the line of the matriarchs, in the line of David and in the line of Jesus. Our second matriarch is Rahab. And Rahab... Um, many of you may remember, was the executive director of the recreation center in Jericho. (laughs) I'm mindful that there might be children in the room, although it seems like they've all left. So Uh, when the Israelite men came into the city to spy out the territory before coming to battle... Rahab assisted them and protected them from harm and asked in return that she and her household be saved. And when, according to the story, Jericho was destroyed, Rahab and her household were indeed saved. Why? 
The text states, because of her faith. Our third patriarch is, or matriarch, is Ruth. And she has a whole book uh, named after her. Uh, And this book contains the story that begins by naming Ruth as Ruth the Moabite. And concludes by calling her daughter of Israel. So how does Ruth the Moabite become the daughter of Israel? By committing herself to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and returning to Bethlehem with her. But how does Ruth become a matriarch in the line of David? And therefore in the line of Jesus Christ? By marrying Boaz, who is in that familial line. And how does Ruth get Boaz to marry her? By visiting him in the middle of the night at the threshing floor. Enough said. (laughs) Finally, we move to Bathsheba. And for those who do not remember, Bathsheba was married to Uriah the Hittite, who served in King David's army. And David found Bathsheba to be quite beautiful, and he wanted her for himself. And so he arranged for Uriah to be killed in battle so that he could have Bathsheba. Now, there's a lot more to the story than that, but um, that'll be enough for this moment uh, to get us to the point of our conversation. You see, what we're finding is that these four women were foreigners, but they were not only foreigners, they were also women of questionable reputation. So what is Matthew doing? He's starting his gospel with this genealogy where he's naming these women. He's breaking tradition by putting women in the genealogy to begin with. He's breaking the pattern by naming them as you go through the list. Matthew's building an argument on behalf of Mary. Because Mary is what? She's pregnant, but she's not married. At the same time, Matthew's making very clear in this genealogy that no matter where you have come from and no matter what you have done, you can be part of the family. Yes! Hallelujah! Matthew has revealed to us that Jesus' genealogical tree has several branches. And if Jesus were to take the DNA test today, he would discover that his heritage is very mixed. Now, I've not taken the DNA test, but I would be interested to do so Uh, Because you never know what you're going to discover when you do it. 
And in fact, one of my regular professors at the seminary, who is an African-American male, is married to a woman from Finland. And he and his wife took the DNA test, and he told me, he said, he set it up because secretly he wanted, his, he wanted to see if his wife might have some African descent in her background. And in the end, it turned out to be the opposite. She had no African descent, but he has Finnish descent in his background. And so he told me the next morning, he got up and went down into the kitchen and got his mug of coffee and sat down and looked at his wife and said, I'm finished, you know. (laughs) We live in a diverse world. We have the earth... We have us. And the question is, how will we be together on this earth? In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses uh, 12 to 19, uh, we have some commands. And I'm going to read a couple verses of that. Verse 12. So now, O Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. So what are some of those commands? I'm going to skip to verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow and loves the strangers providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The command that was given in Deuteronomy, for what reason? For your own well-being, as it states in verse 13. For your own well-being. I'm going to take us back to Matthew. And this time, chapter 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. This is probably a familiar section. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Skipping to verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? That we saw you a stranger and we welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, and I would add my sister you did it 
to me. We have the earth. We have us. How will we be together on the earth? In 1964, Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we just celebrated, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his leadership of the civil rights movement and his steadfast commitment to achieving racial justice through nonviolent action. King accepted the award on December 10th, 1964, in Oslo, Norway, on behalf of the civil rights movement, and he pledged the price money to go to the movement's continued development. Now, in his acceptance speech, King noted a question, first of all. He said, why would we be receiving this award? Why would the civil rights movement receive the, this award when it has not yet won the very peace and brotherhood, which is the essence of the Nobel Prize. And here are some of his words. I accept the Nobel Prize for peace at a moment when 22 million Negroes of the United States of America are engaged in a creative battle to end the long night of racial injustice. I accept this award on behalf of a civil rights movement which is moving with determination and a majestic scorn for risk and danger to establish a reign of freedom and rule of justice. It is clear in his words that the goal had not yet been achieved, and yet the award was given. There's some in our nation that would suggest we live in a post-racist society that the issue of racism, racism was taken care of in the civil rights movement. But I would suggest to you today that the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement tells us otherwise. We have the earth. We have us. How will we be together on this earth? I just completed on Friday a week-long intensive course for our DMIM program at ABSWN. Margaret was in also a week-long intensive course, but a different room. Uh, I had nine students in this class, and they were from eight different culture groups. We had a Korean international. Here's a picture of them. Uh, an archdeacon from Rwanda, an international student from Manipur, India, which is where your pastors are from, uh, an international pastor from Colombia, an African-American hospital chaplain, an African-American female pastor, she was the only woman in, this, in the class besides me, uh, an immigrant pastor from Ethiopia, an international pastor from South Korea, a Caucasian pastor from Salt Lake City, and an immigrant pastor from Ghana. Very diverse group. And a white Caucasian woman teaching them. (laughs) 
We spent the week discussing their potential doctor of ministry projects. We spent the week discussing the gap between the older generation and the younger generation. We spent the week strategizing how to bridge the gap between the young and the old so that the young will continue to engage the older generation and the older generation will learn to open up to the wants and needs of the younger generation. We spent the week talking about the impact, the negative impact of capitalism and class on the church. We spent the week talking about the lack of education and adequate resources in our communities. We spent the week talking about how we might dismantle colonialist thinking. In short, we were of the same mind. We shared the same concerns. We shared the same problems. The conversation was rich, and in the end, we said to one another we have the earth we have us how will we be on the earth together the archdeacon of Rwanda told us stories about the awful genocide that took place there in 1994 where one tribal group had been set against another through political propaganda that caused a violent uprising of tribe against tribe. And the political propaganda came to the Rwandans through the colonizers, through the westernizers, through the Belgium rule. When the UN required that Belgium leave Rwanda, the genocide broke out. The genocide was the result of the hate rhetoric implanted in the minds of the population over several decades. After the genocide, in the words of Archdeacon Apollinaire, there was nothing. I don't know if you can see this picture very well, but in the background, and I purposely kind of made it less obvious, but there's just devastation in the background on this picture. The land had been raped. Houses and businesses and valuable resources had been burned and destroyed. And nearly one million people had been murdered in hand-to-hand combat. There was, in his words, there was nothing left in the land. Rwanda had to rebuild from zero. You see, what we often fail to recognize in our striving for homogeneity, in our striving for purity, in our striving for class, in our striving for what's comfortable in our own culture group, is that when we destroy another group, we're we're destroying an infrastructure. We're destroying an infrastructure that we need. We are not as independent as we think we are. We're not as pure as we think we are. We are a mix, and we are dependent on one another for our daily needs and wants. I don't know about you, 
But when I get up in the morning, this is what I do. I make and drink coffee. That must come first. I make and drink coffee that comes from another country. I put together a breakfast of fruits and vegetables and sometimes breads that are planted and cultivated and harvested by immigrants. Then I turn on the news and I see what's happening on the global scene. And I learn that my own country has a schism and that one of the primary conversations is related to immigration. I learn that countries around the world are fighting to keep out totalitarian governments. I learn about how our own nation is complicit in the wars and violent struggles around the globe. I learn about global warming and about how countries are or are not striving to improve the air quality. I learn about whales dying and when uh, they are investigated, discovering that there are 13 pounds of plastic in their gut from eating in the ocean. I learn about our global pollution problems. We have the earth, we have us. How will we be together on the earth? My college that, colleague that I mentioned earlier was hoping his wife had some African heritage and he only to discover that he has Finnish heritage. What a surprise. Our faith lineage includes Canaanites, Moabites, Hittites. Our Torah commands that we welcome the stranger. Our Bible declares that those who we have welcomed, the stranger, the poor, the naked, and the imprisoned, are part of the kingdom of God. These are our roots. This is our spiritual heritage. Matthew has shown us the way. Two points that Matthew gives us. First, inclusion. In Matthew chapter 1, the female, the foreigner, and the person of questionable reputation are highlighted. They're not just mentioned, they are highlighted. The pattern is broken. Their names are inserted. They are highlighted lest we miss the point that Matthew's trying to make. In Matthew 25, we're told, Truly I say to you, as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. The second point that Matthew gives us, service to the other. We have the earth, we have us. How will we be together on the earth? Matthew gives us the answer. Inclusion and service to the other.
These are the spiritual practices we are called to perform. And when we embrace these practices and incorporate them into our lives, we are living into the kingdom of God. Amen.